the uh, message and song, and uh, very thankful for that. And uh, boy, it's enjoyable being up here, kind of watch everybody enjoying the song and singing along and knowing the words, and uh, not only knowing the words, but believing the truth. Uh, we're looking forward to that uh, home. And uh, boy, I'm, I'm telling you what, signs of the time uh, show more and more how close we are to glory bound, and uh, looking forward to that day uh, when the Lord returns. Could be today, and so looking forward to that. And so we're going to be Ecclesiastes chapter number two this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter number two, and uh, somehow I uh, made it up here without my Bible, so I had to go get my Bible because that's important. It's hard to preach without that, and, and so uh, my mind's all over the place this morning. So hopefully the Lord will give us grace to kind of lock in here and uh, get exactly what He uh, desires for us here this morning. I do want to be honest before we even read the text this morning. And uh, just let you know uh, the, the, the weighty uh, subject matter that our preacher takes us to today in the book of Ecclesiastes uh, is actually in the realm of that of suicidal thoughts. Okay? And so just being mindful of that and understanding um, there might be those who have had tragedy in their life because of that uh, or those who are struggling with that very issue. And understanding, uh, I wish it was a bright, sunny, beautiful day we could deal with this, but it's kind of a dreary day, so it kind of doubles down on it a little bit. Uh, but I also don't want to shy away from preaching the whole counsel of God and understanding that there are times and opportunities when the Bible presents us with the subject that maybe in our best efforts we say we'd rather just pretend like that one doesn't exist. And yet the Bible deals with it uh, blatantly and openly because we need it sometimes to be dealt with blatantly and openly. And so uh, I pray the Lord will give grace where I can uh, present this in such a way. It really isn't the primary thrust of the message, but it's definitely an undertone that is there uh, where Solomon, in thinking about his life, begins to despair about life. And so understanding that that is, I do want to give kind of a, a, a pretense and forerunner uh, that that is kind of what we're going to be dealing with some here today, and just to give you a heads up there in that department. So if you found your place there in Ecclesiastes chapter number 2, let's stand together if you're able to, uh, to honor the reading of God's Word. Ecclesiastes chapter number 2, and we're going to start reading in verse number 12. Ecclesiastes chapter number 2 and verse number 12. It reads this way, it says, And I, of course this is Solomon speaking, he says, And I turn myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. Now he's already done this and now he's revisiting these subjects, which we'll breach again here in just a moment. So now he says why he goes back to it. He gives that little colon there and he says, I return to wisdom, madness and folly for what? Can the man do that cometh after the king, even that which hath been already done? Then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly, as far as light excelleth darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. And I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all." Meaning it doesn't matter if they're a wise person or a foolish person. There's one thing that's unavoidable for all the groups. Verse 15, he talks about that. He says, Then said I in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity. 
For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever, seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man as the fool? Therefore, I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This is also vanity. Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity. Yet to a man that hath not labored therein shall he leave it for his portion. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what hath man of all his labor and of the vexation of his heart, wherein he hath labored under the sun? For all his days are sorrows, and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is also vanity. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw, that it was from the hand of God. For who can eat, or who else can hasten hereto, more than I? For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he giveth travail, to gather and to heap up, that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. I'd like to preach to you this morning on this, the vanity of life. Uh, the words of a, I say it this way, words of a suicidal preacher who despaired of life and hated life. That's really the place in which he came. So may God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the scriptures here this morning. <clears throat> Sometimes uh, life can seem uh, kind of pointless. Um, if you're not careful, you can get in this cycle where you feel like you're living to work, working to eat, and eating to live so that you can live to work. And it can feel like this just continuous cycle where one day you almost wake up and you're like, what am I doing? You can almost have like this existential crisis where you kind of say, what is my life? I mean, what, what, what am I doing here? I, I, I punch the clock, and then I, and then I do this, and then I do this, and then I do all of this just so I can do this. And it feels like this repetitive, circular thing where you just feel like it's all worthless. There's no value. I just feel like I'm living, but I have no real life. I feel like I'm just going through the motions, and you might ask this question, what is the point of all of this anyways? It just feels like it just keeps going and going and going and going, and there's really no point to it all. Now, sometimes this question, seasoned in with other events of life, can go to the extreme. When it does that, life can feel so pointless that there are those who feel the necessity to end their life. 
Now, suicide has become all too common of a word in our society. It has increasingly become so. It seems like the greater affluence, the greater the suicide rate. It's an interesting dynamic in my estimation as I look at it. In the realm of uh, teens, it's become especially too common. I had opportunity to work with teenagers for four years as a youth pastor, and unfortunately it has seeped into those realms way more than it ever should, with teenagers dealing with things that they never should have to deal with. Uh, it wouldn't be too far of a stretch to say that even maybe a good number of those who are here this morning have struggled with the very thought or have been touched by this very word in their life in some realm or department or in some way. Maybe you've never seriously contemplated, but maybe you've even had the tendencies in your own heart to say, I'm of no value or better off if I were just dead. Right? Maybe not the act, but the attitude behind it has been there. You know, there are, as I study this out, there's actually four basic types of, of suicides, and this isn't a big... We're not doing a big prevention thing on suicide and, and, and trying to develop that. But I wanted to get to a place where we can understand Solomon and where he was coming at from a biblical perspective. So there's egotic, which is this is through life a person gets to the point where they feel like they can't handle things anymore. There's fear or pain or confusion or whatever it is. And they say, I'm just done with life. I'm done with handling this. I'm done with stressing about this. I'm just out. Another thing is dyadic. This is somebody who maybe has a radical change in life. Maybe somebody who's been married for years and years and their spouse dies and they can't handle the change. They've had some radical change, a loss of a, a loved one, a divorce, some loss of a job, some major event has happened in their life. Agenerotic is actually a form of uh, suicide in which a person feels disconnected from their own generation. Uh, most typically this would be those who are teenagers and those that are much older. Uh, those who feel like they no longer fit in with their group and they feel disconnected and feel like they don't belong any longer. And then altruistic, this is somebody for some type of disciplined commitment, uh, gives up their life in, for the benefit of somebody else, right? And we can picture those maybe uh, kamikaze pilots in World War II, committed suicide for the betterment of their nation, or at least so they thought. That's why they were doing that. Now, uh, it amazes me looking at all of these different dynamics and these things. Uh, and, and again, some of these statistics may have uh, changed. I don't know. Uh, some of these things I looked at were a little outdated by a few years. But they, they said that around 7,000 teenagers a year take their own life and that there's over 10 times that amount that are uh, attempted every year. And so there's obviously a, a large aspect as far as with teens, but I think if we opened and broadened that number to the large populace of our country, we would see it's become an epidemic. It is absolutely there. So the question arises in my mind, and I hope in yours, why? Why, do, why are there those who despair so much of life that they go to that extreme? But maybe a, a deeper question of why is backing and rewinding that tape up a little bit further of when that first began, when there was that attitude of my life is pointless. And that, that state and that beginning point where those emotions and those attitudes actually began, because it's in that state that I think a lot of us can begin to identify with because we might have had some of the similar thoughts in our life. 
where we start to think, listen, I would never take my own life, but I oftentimes have wondered, what is the point of all of this? I, I feel like I'm living to work, to eat, to live, and I just feel like I'm just tired of it all. The kids are driving me crazy. My job is unfulfilling. Uh, church is a thing I do, and I'm, I'm trying to do the Christian life, but at times I feel like, what's the point there? And I just feel like it's just, mm. I just feel like, what's the point of all of this? It's just there. Actually, uh, again, an interesting trend that I've seen, and by no means, understand my heart in this, by no means am I knocking somebody who is on any form of medication or doing something, but it is astounding to me the number of people who are on antidepressants and have reached a point in their life where they feel like there's so much that's overwhelming that they, they now need medication for that. I tell you, of all the nations in the world, America, I think they said, ranks 28th in depression. We're, we're pretty high up on the list. And, and suicide rate, we're, we're pretty high up on the list. And you start to wonder, how can that be with all the affluence that we have? Actually, some of the happiest nations in the world are third world countries, where there's very little material possessions that they actually have. And life expectancy is much shorter and I sit back and I go, well, what's going on here? That it seems like with all of our affluence and with all of our uh, benefits that God has blessed us with, that there would be maybe an attitude of just saying uh, of thankfulness and gratitude and of just joy and there would be happiness all the time. But actually, we see quite the opposite. Actually, if you look at our culture and our society, those who are maybe in top tier positions, high end jobs, actors, Right, Those who are entertainers and they make millions of dollars, I'll tell you, the rates go through the roof. That the higher that people have of affluence and, 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 and connections and, and possessions, that it seems like the stress level and the anxiety and depression just seem to go higher and higher and actually the suicide rate goes through the roof. Which makes me begin to understand and realize that there's a whole generation of people there's a whole group of people, even us, if we're not careful, we can get caught in the rat race of trying to find fulfillment in all these other things. And then at some point we stop and have this existential crisis in our life where we go, what is this all about? And we can begin to do as Solomon did. We can start to despair of life itself. What's the point is where Solomon got. So in understanding this dynamic of Solomon and, and where he got to, I think there's some lessons to be learned as with any other part of the scripture. Now, of course, Solomon is taking a journey under the sun. Now, for fear of just driving this into the ground, I'm just going to give this to you here real quickly. There are key phrases in the book of Ecclesiastes, which Solomon, who is our author, calls himself the preacher. He's lived a long and full life, and he says, listen, I took a journey that now I'm going to give you instruction about so you don't have to take the journey. He left a life of living for God and started living a life under the sun. Life under the sun simply means this. Life lived in this world for this world. So his whole pursuit in life became what he could accomplish and what he could achieve and what he could experience here right now on this earth not in the one to come. So that was Solomon's journey. Now, as he goes through this journey uh, under the sun, he goes multiple different locations 
And he tells us in chapter 1, all of those locations end in these two words, vanity and vexation. Vanity, emptiness, no value, nothing there of substance, promising much, giving little. Vexation, striving but never attaining. It's like running a race but not winning. It's like the donkey with the carrot in front of its face. No matter how far you walk, you never get the carrot. And listen, there are those who, they say, if I could just get here, if I could just get here, if I could just get here, and they feel like they never achieve its vexation. Solomon says, everything in life under the sun, apart from God, is vanity, emptiness, and vexation, feeling like you're going to get there, but never quite getting it. So now, in this same vein of thinking, he brings us to this idea of despairing about life. So what's the journey look like so far? Well, remember his first stop was wisdom, which we summarize this way. Life with rules from God without a relationship with God is vanity. Rules without relationship will lead to rebellion. The most miserable people I know in my life are people who are living the Christian life without enjoying Christ. Awful. And Solomon says, that's life under the sun, right? He, he then takes us on this journey, as he does in the, uh, the first part of chapter number two here. And he begins to talk about uh, this idea of pleasure. He mentioned three stops along the way alcohol, accomplishments, and possessions. He says, I found pleasure in those things, but they never, ever, ever satisfied. Solomon learned that pleasures only last for a short period of time. They give a burst of endorphin, but then there's a at the end of it. There's no lasting thing of joy that is there. So Solomon now takes us on the next leg of the journey under the sun. Life lived in this world for this world. And it takes him to a place that he despairs of even life itself. So he mentions, uh, beginning off in the first few verses here, in verses 12 and 13 and 14, he, he begins to contrast the wise and the fool. And, and so, again, he examines wisdom and madness and folly. Now, just to define these terms once again, wisdom is biblical knowledge applied. That's what wisdom means. So it's one thing to know what the Bible says. Wisdom is actually doing it. Okay. Well, what is madness? Madness, the biblical term here, madness, has to do with someone who doesn't know what the Bible says, and so they ignorantly do things they shouldn't do. Okay, so you got wisdom. I know what the Bible says, and I will do what the Bible says. Madness, I don't know what the Bible says, and so I can't do it because I don't know it. And then here's a dangerous group, the fool. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Or better yet, say it this way, the fool says no to God. The fool knows what the Bible says and willfully rejects to do it. So here's Solomon and he says, I sought out to know wisdom and madness and folly. Now as he looks at these three groups, he then begins to compare the two extremes. Sorry, madness, you're left out. He begins to contrast wisdom, somebody who knows what the Bible says and applies that biblical knowledge, and then the fool, somebody who knows what the Bible says and yet rejects and refuses it. So as he begins to contrast these two opposing views of wisdom and folly, he comes to this conclusion. 
the end result's the same. That was kind of a depressing thing for him. Now, he does recognize on the journey, wisdom excels folly. It's better than it. Well, why? Well, he says wisdom, it's like the guy's walking around with his head up. You, you can read it there, verse 12, 13, 14. He's, he talks about like, the guy with wisdom, he's walking around and he can see what's coming up. He foresees the danger, the book of Proverbs would say, and hides himself from it. There's wisdom in that. Whereas he says the fool is the person who is walking in darkness, like they're blind. And they're just stumbling and running into everything. And so he says there's a huge difference between the two in this life. Now, th this is maybe just a side note. But I'm telling you, even somebody who applies biblical principles without a relationship with the Lord, there is benefit there. I mean, we're, we're talking about financial principles on Sunday night. Somebody who doesn't even have a relationship with God, they're not even saved. If they apply biblical principles with their finances, it will be better for them than if they didn't apply those. Why? Because it's biblical principles. They work. God said they would work. Now, you can apply those in any area. So Solomon's saying, listen, there is definite benefit in this life of wisdom over folly. People who live in addictions and people who live in uh, broken relationships and people who live in foolish living, there's a hard road to row ahead of them. It's a difficult life. So he says there's, there's definite differences between them, but one thing is the same. One thing, it doesn't matter if this person lived in wisdom or this person lived in folly. And here's the thing that's the same for them. The end result is this, death. They're both going to die. There's no way out of it. Now, again, I know it's kind of a downer message this morning. It's not my objective this morning, but I do want to be clear to the text. Solomon, as he begins to, to explore wisdom, and madness, and folly, he takes a closer look at folly and looks, takes a closer look at wisdom and he goes, listen, I see some major differences between these in life, but in death there's no difference. And once they die, here, here was the big kicker for Solomon. Once they die, there's no remembrance in death. He then said this, this guy might have lived his whole life trying to be a good guy. And yet at the end of his life, he's forgotten. And then all of his possessions go to somebody else that more than likely is a fool. He's going to live and waste it all and evil living and riotous living. And he comes over here and he, he looks at the fool and he says, here's this guy who wasted his entire life. And when he dies, he's also going to be forgotten. But who cares? And so he looks at the two and he says, listen, I'm contrasting these two. And I understand there's differences in life. But in death, there's so little difference. So he tells us very clearly, I believe in verse 15, where he says, I despair of life. I'm sick of it. In common vernacular, let me give it to you this. Solomon says, if that's the end result, then why not just go ahead and get there now? If death and life is that meaningless and it's just this worthless circle and cycle, I might as well just go ahead and get there and get it over with. That's quite depressing. Thanks, Solomon, we needed that this morning. But that's where he got. That, that's where his thinking. Now, listen, if we're not careful, our thinking can take us there too. Where we can start to think about, listen, I'm trying to live right. And I'm sacrificing. And, and I'm trying to lay up money in a, in a retirement fund. Or, you know, I'm trying to be moral. And, and, and in all of this, you might stop and say, what is the point of it all? And here's this guy over here, and he's living, just living his life for the, for the now. Just blowing all his money and living recklessly and throwing caution to the wind. 
And sometimes if we're not careful, regardless of what camp you're in, you can stop and you can despair of life when you start to think about the whole meaning of it all and the end of it all, and it can become rather depressing, rather discouraging. So Solomon, in his great wisdom, starts to think through this. He says there's got to be some redeeming qualities. There's got to be something to life that has some value. So he goes on in the, the next few verses. In verse 15, he mentions, of course, that he could not prevent or even slow death. His wisdom was pointless in the end. Verse 16, the fool and the wise die the same way. They both will be forgotten in time, no matter how either one of them lives their life. Verse 17, this fact drove Solomon to even hate his life. He despaired of it. He didn't even want to continue going. The remaining verses from verses 18 down through verse number 23, he talks about his labor and the work that he'd done and how invaluable it seemed and how he feels like he had just wasted everything that he had done with his life. I encourage you uh, here this morning to make, make some application for our life. Okay, so we've gone to the realm of Solomon. We can bring this to 21st century Bible Baptist Church. Okay, if we're not careful, we can get to the point where we begin to despair of life like Solomon did. How does that happen? Life in this world, lived for this world, will produce discouragement. Inevitably it will, because this world and this life has almost zero redeeming qualities to it. And even those who choose a life of wisdom and morality and they try to do right, I think ultimately they'll have this existential crisis, this moment where they stop and they go, what am I really doing? Maybe it is in your life, you're even struggling with that here even this morning. If your life has become a pursuit under the sun, you say, what was that? What was life under the sun? If your life has become a pursuit of, of fun, your life has become a pursuit of money, your life has become a pursuit of uh, events, your life has become a pursuit of family. As, and listen, and it's not necessarily any of these things are wrong, but if that is the sum of everything your life is about and what you're trying to achieve. Listen, I'm going to tell you, life under the sun, life lived in this world, for this world, the end result of all of it is oftentimes very, very discouraging. It is that there's a moment where we say, what is this all about? Can I offer you a, uh, an, an opposing view that Solomon, of course, at the end of the book, which is going to mention this almost every week, where he says the whole duty of man is what? Fear God and keep His commandments. He actually even mentions that there are some things that God has given us here on this earth to eat and to drink and to be merry. And listen, you can take that in a negative sense under the sun, but a life lived for the Lord, there are some joys even in this world. And maybe it is here this morning, if you feel like your life has very little purpose or very little meaning or very little <clears throat> objectivity, you say, well, what is this all about? Maybe it is here this morning that your life has become too much about life on this earth for this earth and too little of your life here on this earth is about the one to come. Uh, it gives whole new meaning and whole new purpose to every aspect in every avenue of your life when you quit living for this world and you start living for the Lord. Totally different to the mother who's discouraged because your kids are driving you crazy. 
I hear you, right? I see you. To the dad who's kind of that frustration, right? That's a part of parenting. Understand that dynamic. And you feel like that this journey has become, and you say, what is the point anymore? You ever get there as a parent? What's the point of this? I feel like we discipline them, and they never hear it, and they're not learning. You feel like you're losing your mind. Listen, life under the sun, you can get super discouraged super fast. But if you start to view that child with God's eyes and eternal purpose and value, it'll change every aspect of your home life and your family life. Radicalize every aspect of it. That it's no longer life lived for this earth, trying to make them a good citizen here on this earth, but trying to make them a good citizen for that heavenly kingdom. Trying to help them learn the ways of the Lord. What about your marriage here this morning? If you're... <laughs> marriage might seem rather abrasive at times. Why? Because you got two sinners living together. And we can be a little abrasive towards one another sometimes. And listen, life lived on this earth, for this earth, can quite sometimes feel like <clears throat> in a marriage. But if you'll start to view that marriage the way that God views it, that it really is supposed to be a picture of heaven on earth. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, see that you reverence your own husband like the church does to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's supposed to be this beautiful picture of heaven on earth. It'll totally revolutionize your marriage and how you view it. Am I saying all the problems will go away and you'll be dancing through the tulips and everything will be peaches and cream? Yeah, no, that, it doesn't work that way. But I also understand this, it'll totally revolutionize your purpose in life. When I start to stop, even as a pastor, you say, as a pastor? Yeah, as a pastor, sometimes I sit down and I go, what am I even doing? You just feel like you're just doing the same thing over and over again. You yell at people and they don't listen, you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding, just kidding. You're just doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. What's the whole value of this? And then God has to put the brakes on and go, whoa, you're, you're looking at this as a journey under the sun with worldly perspective you need to have some heavenly perspective on this. And that's when God allows me to open my eyes and look back over ministry and say, there's a difference been made in a life and a difference made in a marriage and a person that accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and families that have been brought back together. And you start to realize by the power of God's grace and what He can do to revolutionize and change people's life. And you go, that's life of purpose. But that's not just for ministry. That's for your occupation as well. As a welder, as a physician, as a teacher, as whatever your occupation is, as a grandparent who's retired. Listen, your life does not have zero value or no meaning or no worth. In the kingdom of God, in God's purpose in your life, there is great value. There's great value that's there. Amen. And maybe it is here this morning uh, for all of us. We need to just open our eyes and say this. Life lived under the sun can seem so pointless and meaningless, but life lived for the Son of God is full of purpose and meaning and value. Amen. I do also want to give a word of encouragement here this morning because there could be an individual who is seriously struggling with this idea of suicide in their life. Where they have reached a point of despair where they say, there is no value to my life. I'm going to push back and give you a scriptural answer here this morning. You ready for this? God created you God doesn't make junk. Amen. And the Son of God died on the cross for you, even if you were the only one. And if God placed that much value on you, then you 
don't lower that value. God has put great significance on your life. God has put great value on your life. And you might have reached a point where you're in despair and you say there's no hope. But I'm thankful for a God who never reaches that point of giving up. There's a Heavenly Father who loves you and cares for you. And let me go a step further. There's a church body called Bible Baptist Church that loves you. You might not feel that way, and we can deceive our own minds sometimes in thinking that's not true. But the reality is, is God has given us a New Testament church. And right here in Bridgeport, if this is your church, this is where God's called you to be a part of, God's given you this church to minister to you and be an encouragement to you and be a blessing to you. And He has a God... There's a God that loves you. There's a church that loves you. There's a Holy Spirit that wants to minister to you. There's a Son of God that came and died for your sins. There's a Bible that wants to instruct you. I'll tell you this. God is not through with you. Your life has meaning. Your life has value. Your life has purpose. I encourage you here this morning. Maybe even just hit an old-fashioned altar and say this. God, forgive me for having such negative thoughts about what you created. Forgive me for having such negative thoughts and such destructive thoughts toward your creation And help me now, God, to see purpose and vision and direction because I'm struggling to see it. But I know this, God, if I'll trust in you, there is purpose, there is vision, there is future in this life. Maybe it is here this morning, regardless of where you're at on the spectrum of this thing. Maybe you walked in this morning and you're like, I'm just loving life and living for Jesus. Well, praise the Lord. Keep on serving the Lord. But if you're here this morning and you're on the other end of that spectrum, this message would be a word of encouragement for you this morning. Don't despair. Don't get discouraged. Live for the Lord. Life is not vain. It is under the sun, but not for the sun. It's not vain at all. Let's all stand as we come to a time of invitation here this morning.